Blog Talk Radio. Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening. How are you, Susan? Well, you are getting good, getting good at figuring out which number I'm calling from. Yeah. <laughs> There's another 845 number in the, the queue with their hands raised, and I, 
And, uh, right, like, anyway. <laughs> which one is Susan tonight? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm uh, really enjoying seeing all of the uh, motherwort seeds sprouting and the little baby motherwort plants popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, mine, this, I have this to is be the really time of the year. about reseeding them. Yeah, this is the time of the year when many people do themselves in with motherwort because they only recognize it as a flowering plant, and it actually looks quite different when it's a little seedling. Mm-hmm. It looks a bit like a maple tree mm-hmm. with a palmate, you know, five-pointed leaves. And it, um, uh, in, even in my area where it gets pretty darn cold, it remains evergreen through most of the wintertime. Yeah, yeah, here too. So it's really mm-hmm. like starting those those young plants are really like coming on strong now. And this is the time when, you know, you're harvested enough out of the garden that you can start to see again. You think, ah, I'm going to take all those nasty weeds out of the garden. And bam, there goes your motherwort. Because mm-hmm. you didn't recognize it and save it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I have some motherwort spread in a couple different gardens. I don't have it at my new house yet, but it's too hot to plant anything right now. So I'm I'm holding out. Hopefully, I'll get some some little plants in before uh, it gets too cold. So lots to do over here at this new house. <laughs> lots to do. Lots of, you know, <laughs> the mint family seeds come primarily from the Mediterranean basin. Those plants, those mint family plants. So they're actually pretty tolerant of heat and um, unlike some other seeds can uh, germinate in pretty hot soils. Mm-hmm. We've of course been enjoying the premier germinates in hot soil purslane. Oh right. Yeah. Justine went out to buy some sweet corn at a local farm and they had a bushel basket of purslane with a sign that said free. And Justine yeah, was going to take it, but it turned out to be in one plant. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, they get yeah, pretty big. I think that one plant must have weighed, I don't know, between five and eight pounds. It was huge. Yeah, I planted some this spring, and I just had some last week with some chicken livers, and it was really good. I I uh, cooked it as a cooked green and had some chicken livers. was feeling like I needed to replenish myself, and it was a very good meal to do that. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Mm-hmm. James Duke was always into pointing out that purslane is one of the few green plants to contain omega-3 fatty acids. And for that right. reason, he thought that it would be excellent for people who have a tendency to depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting, because that's what I was feeling so called to it, because I was feeling so, like, after the move and just so much to do, I was, like, laid out. And um, and then I saw the purslane, and I was like, ooh, liver and purslane, that's what I need. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when your body has good choices? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like the older I get, the better I get at those good choices. Well, it's not just that you're getting better at making the choice. It's that your body has been exposed to those foods, and so it can ask for it. Mm, right, yeah. It's a maturing process, I suppose. Well, it's also... You know, what I, one of the things that I say is that there's really only one parenting task, and that is to make your children eat strange food. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Everything else they'll pick up. 
even mm-hmm. toilet training, but it's up to the parents to make sure that the children eat a huge variety of foods. You know, my son-in-law was a chef instructor, retired now, at the Culinary Institute, and so my granddaughter, by the age of two, had probably tasted and consumed and would readily eat um, ten times as many foods as your average person. That's amazing. My kids have always been like a little a little picky. I don't know where they get that from because I eat, you know, I'm not picky at all, so it's, it's a strange kids thing. Born pick, kids are born picky. It's the parents' task to say you don't get to stay that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're exposed to a lot of food whether they eat it or not. Exactly. <laughs> That's another thing. But they're getting, as as they're getting older, though, they are uh branching out more so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but you know like my son, one son started out I mean at least it was like a good option but he used to just love blueberries and salmon like that was his favorite thing when he was, like, <laughs> I was all he would eat was blueberries and salmon <laughs> yeah <laughs> should well, we all be so lucky yeah mm. but <laughs> yeah back to the garden I'm just uh I have some seeds just sitting next to me just that of stuff that I do really want to be intentional about getting in this year because they're biennials like the the mullein and angelica and um marshmallow marshmallow is not exactly a biennial but it does flower in the second year so if I get it in this year then I will still get some flowers next year which will be nice will you really I mean my first year mullein is already so big it's hard for me to believe that you have enough warm days left for any mullein seeds to get big enough to really flower next year. Yeah, you don't think they, they will? I just know that my first-year mullein has been growing actively since May. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the fact that it's a biennial does not mean that the first-year seeds sprout in the fall. They sprout in the spring. Mm-hmm. So that they can develop the a large, a large yeah. taproot that will see them through the winter time. I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe it stays warm longer enough in Oregon for them to do it. Certainly, as anyone who's ever gardened knows, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. You okay. can do exactly the wrong thing yeah. in your garden and get exactly right. Yeah, I'm going to experiment and see if I can. Because we don't get, sometimes it won't freeze here, and so we will get lucky in that, or, you know, it depends on if you consider that lucky or unlucky. Right. (laughs) The freeze is good sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Well, Mm -hmm. tonight we have a vicar. She also calls herself a hedge priest. And you're right. She's a professional stand-up comedian, as well as being an expert on Bible history and metaphysics. Stay tuned, stay with us, or come back at 9 o'clock for Maggie Whitehouse, the hedge priest stand-up comedian. I'm sure you will enjoy her. Yeah, I had to look up what a vicar is because I was unfamiliar with that word. (laughs) And what did you find out? That it's a clergy in charge of a chapel, I guess. I mean, maybe that's what she is, but it also can be like a representative or a deputy, um, somebody superior in charge of a church. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 
interesting. It'll be an interesting interview. Sure. religion. See, I'm not sure if it's for a specific religion or. Um, there's some, but it's a you know Episcopal Episcopal Church or um, a Church of England. So I think that uh-huh. it may not be specific to. I had only maybe heard it. I had only heard it with Episcopalian, but I mm-hmm. didn't know if that was its limit or if other um, types of Christianity also had vicars. So maybe we can ask Maggie when she talks mm-hmm. with us tonight. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. And we have some people with their hands raised. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to ask your question. And are you ready for the first caller, Susan? I am. Okay. The first caller is coming from the 636 area code. Hi, Susan. Thanks so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I don't know if you remember, I called you back in March. Um, I was concerned about um, uh, conceiving, and you told me about how I should increase my red clover intake and my meat intake, and we talked about um, making an agreement with my future baby. And um, I just wanted to uh, thank you so much because everything you told me was really, really helpful, and I actually sat down and wrote out my agreement and I like internalized it and said it out loud and um, I'm happy to report that I'm now five weeks pregnant. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> and I I really don't think I could have done it without you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Um. So um, I did have a couple of questions though. So um, I do the nourishing herbal infusions as you um so um you recommend and I was wondering if uh, well and I also was have been doing red raspberry leaf in there too and as part of my rotation so uh-huh. I was wondering um, should I change any of that now that um, I'm pregnant no okay so because I, I mean I'm no, I know that you're aware that a lot of people are against red clover and I trust you and um, so I should keep the red clover just once a week at, like I have like I have been or maybe more so what do you mean people are against red clover? Well, um, there's a lot of information out there about, you know, the phytoestrogens are bad for hormone levels, and um, uh, since it's kind of like it helps your liver um, work through um, uh, toxic materials quicker, it could be bad to have more toxic material in your blood. I kind of don't. I think that's kind of like flimsy on its face, but um, I just wanted to make sure that you were still advocating red clover and red raspberry leaf during pregnancy. Are these people who are telling you not to consume red clover telling you you shouldn't eat beans? Right, yeah. I mean, because it's a food, right? Yeah. Beans contain as much, if not more, phyto sterols than red clover does. Okay, yeah. Then, and, and, but and you're it, comfortable I, eating beans, feel, and I'm comfortable with your drinking red clover. Okay, herbs, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel... Herbs are not drugs, right. but they can be processed and prepared in ways that make them more drug-like. Right, so like the, tinctures. So the simplest way 
to make a drug food-like is to eat it in a food-like way by cooking it or by making a tea or an infusion of it or a vinegar or a honey. The next level of making it more drug-like, yes, is indeed to make a tincture. You and I are not talking about red clover tincture. We're talking about red clover infusion. And then the most drug-like way to prepare a herb is to powder it and put it in a capsule. Right. And most of the studies are done on powdered and encapsulated herbs. Yeah. So yeah. most most of what is studied um, does not apply to what you're asking. So you ask a general question, are you still for red clover and red raspberry? But I gave you a very specific answer. I am still for red clover infusion and red raspberry tea. Okay. Right, but yeah, I am I mean, not for red raspberry or red clover tincture or capsules, if either one of them. Right. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so yeah, when I, people say, well, you know, you shouldn't be taking red clover, you might want to just think that what they're saying is you shouldn't be taking red clover in capsules. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, that's silly anyway, because part of the um, whole thing of consuming herbs is like tasting them and being with them. So when you put them in capsules, yeah, it's, you're not really practicing herbal medicine anymore, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, so I I have your book, The Childbearing Year, and I've read it a few times. And I noticed that um, herbs you say to kind of stay away from um, during pregnancy are like motherwort and um, yarrow. And I know they're both kind of like they can be uterine um, stimu- or, yeah, stimulants. So is that like large doses or would like – you know, like a, a dropper full or a few drops of, like, a motherwort tincture, do you, do you feel like that would be okay? Good question. The amount of something that we take is is definitely going to make a difference. In general, we say don't drink alcohol while you're pregnant, but the vast majority of pregnant women have a glass of wine now and then. Right, and, like, a dropper full of tincture isn't, isn't considered, like, an alcoholic... Exactly. So what I'm saying is that things that we do on a regular daily basis are different than things that we do occasionally. Okay. Yeah, because I like, I really love motherwort. It's one of my favorite plants, and you guys were talking about it earlier, and I am also getting my little motherwort shoots coming up from my my earlier plant this year, and um, she just makes me yeah, so good. happy. So Neither was, Rebecca uh, nor I is the guy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you say that all the time. I'm so sorry. Um, yes, you ladies are uh, very wise, and I'm glad you um, were uh, talking, talking about, about motherwort. Mother you love your motherwort. And yes. I see no reason that you couldn't take a small amount of motherwort. Okay. On occasion, um, what I would not say is that it would be necessarily good for you to use large doses of motherwort several times a day. But let's face it, everything in the mint family, from basil to motherwort and everything in between, can relieve uterine cramping as well as incite it. Yeah, 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 because I I, I like to use motherwort, like, when I would be having my cramps during, like, my period, it helped me a lot. 
So, but well, then you I can be taking... having those for a few months. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Then I just, yeah, I won't be scared, and I'll just be, you know, mindful of what I'm doing with my herbs, which I should anyway. You should um, anyway. You know. Yeah. I think that basil pesto is probably more problematic than some other white tincture. Yes, yes. I've been trying to stay away from large amounts of, of the mint family. Um, but, yeah, like just a few sprigs of basil or something in a meal is Exactly. Food. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and a lot of this is overreacting. Yeah, like you, you call it, you said it was superstitious last time, and I you're right, yeah. it totally you know, is. <laughs> we know that probably 25 to 30% of all women will miscarry within the first trimester. Right, and that's usually due very to large, genetic abnormality. Very large proportion of women, and so we can see how easy it is for superstition to grow up around, oh, well, it must have been because she ate that. It must have been because she did that. I mean, you look back 100 years, and women weren't allowed to do virtually anything once they were pregnant, because any of it could cause her to lose the baby, when, of course, we now know that exactly the opposite is true, like, oh, she shouldn't walk about, or she shouldn't, you know, get on a horse. Well, you know, nowadays, we would think it kind of funny to say that a pregnant woman shouldn't ride a horse. Right. Or that she shouldn't go for a walk. So, again, there's no need to be worried. There's a possibility that you, like any woman, could miscarry in the first trimester. Don't blame yourself, please, if that does happen. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um. I think, yeah, just having my faith and my belief and my love for um, life itself, I think, just keeps me, will, will do a lot to keep me stable in all the ways that matter. Wonderful. Uh, I so appreciate hearing that from you. Yeah, and I, I really think, like, I really needed to hear that uh, from you about um, the agreement, because I already kind of was, Thinking about that, but really, like, making it an absolute, like, intention in my life, I think really had everything. Even my body, like, I ovulated totally differently than I usually do, like, right before I got pregnant. So, like, I feel like my body was, like, all of a sudden primed, like, oh, you know what, maybe you are ready now. So, it was just, yeah, it was something. (laughs) Wonderful to hear that. Thank you for sharing. Um. I just one little question about motherwort since you were talking. So, does motherwort only come up from like seed? So, like it doesn't. Is it a an annual? It's a tender perennial, like many mints. Depending on where you live, it will grow from the state same root for at least three years. But in many places, many of the mints after three years, just give up the ghost and let their babies take over. Okay. Yeah, because I think this is like maybe the second or third year for like the main mother wart plant, but I know there's like, there's tons of babies around her right now, so yeah, I was just kind of wondering how that would go. But um, And like all yeah. mints, if you want that same root to be a 
flowering motherwort next year, and it's already gone to flower and has seeds on it, you need to cut that seed stalk off. Yeah, yeah, I didn't Prune do that. Prune it right down to the ground, and then it will start making new growth as well. Okay. okay we went out last month cool. and cut down all of the flowering tops of the catnip because it's a nice catnip patch, and I want it to be there next year. And if I just let that catnip sit out there and let the flowers go to seed, then I would have had lots of new catnip plants, but I wouldn't have had the old ones. Yes, I've seen that with my catnip as well. Yeah. And the sage. I have and, a, yeah, lemon balm yeah. to some extent. But it, it's fairly common. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, then. Thank you for your question. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all your help and all you do for everybody. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Oh, I'm so glad to hear your voice again. Thank you for being here tonight. And you too. What's up tonight? Oh, well, I'm feeling a little empowered since I took my power shield off the hoop. And I did what you said. I've been caressing it and feeling it and sleeping with it. And, oh, it's so much nicer this way. I feel intimate. Hurrah. With my my power, yes. Yes. So it it really, I have almost bumps. I have the opposite story of your last caller, who was so gracious. I want to say the opposite, that I thought I was pregnant, and I didn't want to be pregnant. I was almost 50, and it turned out it was menopause. And since then, I I have not felt very sexual because that was a scary moment. And I would like to talk about aphrodisiacs. Because I suddenly... And how long has it been since your last period? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Uh, Seven-something years. It's been like seven years since I went into, I uh, I was abstinent for seven years, and then I went into this whole sexuality thing, and then that I asked happened. How long it has been since your last period? Seven since the last plus, time you bled. Seven plus years. Okay. Since my, and my but mom I was died. a little unclear as to what you were telling me, as my to mom, whether, you were, whether you were telling me when, about orgasms yeah. or menstruation. Okay. So it was February 2012, and my mom died in April. And that, that and, was the last. That was the last time you bled. And oh yeah, and I never had sex since, but I want to now. I, okay. I like, so I, at the last time that you bled was close to the last time you had sex. Exactly the last time. Okay. I, now I by, by these words, by these words, having sex. I need to know what you mean. So let me tell you first what I might mean okay. by that. Okay. Um, one of my past apprentices was here for the Green Goddess Week, 
and she told us a story of harvesting hypericum um, from plants on her land that she's in oh, communion I heard that. with. I, I, I Did heard you hear that. her no, talking I, about having an orgasm? I, I've had orgasms since then. I just have not been able to have tration with a man. Ah, which, okay. Well, which, sex, is, sex is far more than penetration with a man, isn't it? I know that. So let's just let's not say have sex because you obviously okay. are having sex. Oh, you're right, but it's it's so sporadic. I want I want so, I want, I I want to be able women to don't like, acknowledge the sex that they have because their culture has focused them on satisfying men. No, I'm not. And you I'm know not what? Acknowledging your it, body but, may not ever want to do that again. I don't know. Well, no, it does, but I'm thinking like. Isn't there something I can uh, help myself out with? Like some aphrodisiac makes you want it. You're telling me you already want it. No, but I don't feel like I can let myself go enough because it's been eight years, almost eight years. I haven't had sex in my 50s. I'm 50, almost eight. Do you know how to ride a bicycle? Oh, that's what he said, too. It's just like riding a bicycle. Exactly. Well, I was thinking I should ride my bicycle to build up some stamina, but also, come on, Susan, you know the aphrodisiacs. I know you've run a class on it. I, Sorry, I, 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 I am being down. serious with you. Aphrodisiacs bring up desire. I do not see a lack in your desire. Oh, you're right. Also, you know that in Down There, I do list aphrodisiacs, so if you have a copy of that, that they're there. But I do not see that this is a remedy that you need. I think you're right. Well, I know what I would suggest is that you start having seven orgasms a week. <laughs> one a day, you mean? doesn't have to be one a day. They can be all seven on Sunday. Oh, no, all seven on Sunday, like, Or oh, one wow. a day, or two on Monday, and three on Wednesday, and one on Sunday, no, whatever you want. I'm, that's, not, that's my, that's I'm just simply my saying seven a week. That's all. No, but that's and then my you problem, can like, figure out seven, how, yeah, how to get I seven want. a week, because oh. that will put you on your bicycle. I feel like I'm uh, OCD, though. I want all seven at once, and then I'm you like, You can have oh. them all seven at once. That's fine. That's not a problem. You can have ten at once. All right, just get those Kegel muscles working, you're saying. Just get yourself back on the bicycle. All right. This is what I'm saying. And drop your notion that sex equals his thing and your thing. Sex is far, far more than that. It's pretty stale and out of date, but I used to say to people when we were talking about sex, did Bill and Monica have sex? Who? If we, well, if we are to believe them, he never put his thing in her thing. But plenty of people think that what they did constituted sex. Yeah, it's so much more. So can I ask you a question about a plant now that we got that out of the way? Okay, so acknowledge the sex you're having. Acknowledge that sex, even with a man, does not have to involve a thing in a thing. And have a good time in seven orgasms a week. Now ask me about a plant. Solidago. Yes, goldenrod. Well, there's 37, I think, at least varieties in New York. And I know there's one or two that were 
more inclined to want to make a tincture out of. But um, I've never really taken it for relief of lungs or pain. But I fell off my porch about 16 days ago, and I flew up because a board sprung off the screw, and it was like a dime board backwards. So I flew up like seven feet, and I flew back like seven feet. And uh, so I'm I'm sitting here with um, chondrochondritis, uh, inflammation of the ribs. And I know I should probably be smoking some mullein, but I, I really am just sitting on the couch still. And um, let me ask you this: Do you have any access to arnica, either homeopathic no. arnica, could gel, no. or arnica oil? No, and I usually don't. Throw you get it. some arnica on hand for the next time you have an injury, and it's not too late. All right. To apply arnica, so, but as soon um, as there's any traumatic injury, I reach for arnica, and I, I put it on liberally and frequently. Especially in the early hours of that injury. I saw my granddaughter when she was a toddler fall down a set of concrete steps. She got to the bottom with a lump on her forehead the size of a goose egg, and it was purple. We put homeopathic arnica gel on it about every 30 seconds for 10 minutes. And by the end of that 10 minutes, that goose egg was completely gone. I agree with you, and thank you for the recommendation. I used to buy from Walida and Walida Pharmacies um, from Switzerland. They had a place down in uh, Spring Valley for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think? I, I don't know. I've been looking at the shops. Everything's so sparse now. Um, wh- where do you think I could buy some locally in, in the in the stock? Because uh, I can't, you might I, you know. find out if Red Moon Herbs or Catskill Mountain Herbals has arnica oil. They might make arnica oil. And if you want the homeopathic uh, arnica, that's pretty easily available at health food no. stores and places like I, that. I don't, I don't, want, fact, I don't my, want the homeopathic. I want the oil. Yeah, the oil. Yeah, oil. So Red Moon I, Herbs. I used to use that on my baby. I used to use that on my baby. That and calendula oil, it was his... Uh, Ritual after his bath. Mhm, mhm. A brand new baby with nothing wrong, but I used to rub arnica oil arnica all, oil, over, all him. over him. Right, so that would be a wonderful thing for you now. Thank you, Susan. I love you so much. You're, you are just the coolest chick on the block. <laughs> okay, you take care now. <laughs> Green blessings. Bye bye. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the nine one nine area code. Hello. Sorry. I had stepped away from my phone. <laughs> Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm doing well today. And you? Good, good. Wonderful. Now that I just heard what you said about the catnip, I was like, oh, I've got to run out to my garden and cut the flowering tops off. Um, <laughs> so um, I had a couple of questions. One is about okra. I grow a lot of okra down here in North Carolina, and I know that you talk about how vegetables don't have it, um, you can't access a lot of their nutrients when it's raw, but I was, I like to munch on the okra when I'm harvesting it, and it's got so much of that, like, good um, mucilage when you're just 
munching on it raw. And I was curious if when you're eating it, if you get, like, if you're eating it raw, if you get the benefits of the mucilage that it has just from eating it raw, just for fun. Mucilage is not a nutrient. Right. Nutrients are held behind the cell wall. When we play cell, I have the students stand in a circle. I ask them to stand in a circle. And um, even before COVID, people will generally stand in a circle with a little bit of social distance between them. And that represents a cell in um, our bodies, which is a cell membrane, which has spaces. So things can pretty easily get in and out. And then um, at a time when we're not dealing with COVID and social distancing, I have people take a step in until they're shoulder to shoulder. And that represents the cell wall in a plant because we have cell membranes and they have cell walls, which is why you can't drive a truck over me and I survive it, but you can drive a truck over your lawn and it can survive it. So we then ask what's inside the cell wall and what's outside the cell wall. And I start out being outside the cell wall and I saunter around the cell going, I am the interstitial fluids. I am the fluids that swirl about all of the cells. Who is out here with me? And we a- I ask a variety of questions. If um, this cell is from an aromatic plant, would the smell of the plant be inside the cell wall or outside the cell wall? Well, it's pretty obvious that it's outside the cell wall. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an aromatic plant, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So we don't have to do anything to get the smell of the plant because it's already outside the cell wall. And, in fact, we can lose it pretty rapidly when we dry the plant, which is why it's called a volatile oil. It's not protected by the cell wall. It volatizes out into the air. And then I ask people if they've ever taken a skid in the grass and a light-colored pair of pants. And almost always one person has and said, oh, that made quite the stain in my pants. And I said, oh, cut a beat on a wooden counter. And they said, stains the counter. I said, so where do you think the coloring matter is, inside the cell wall or outside the cell wall? And they said, well, it's obviously outside the cell wall because you can't mm-hmm. cut through a cell wall with a knife. Cells, after all, are very, very small, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And remember, there's a wall around them. If I gave you a double-edged, super-sharp sword and a room full of marbles and told you I'd pay you a million dollars for every marble you cut in half, how much money am I going to be out? Zero. You will never cut a cell wall with a knife or a juicer. Uh Uh-huh. Because cell walls make the cells of the plant like marbles. They're tough. They're strong. So we have coloring matter outside. We have smells and flavors outside. We have fluids that are outside the cell. And... If the okra has mucilage that's available to you when you eat it raw, where do you suppose that mucilage is? It's outside the cell walls. Exactly. 
right? Cool. Most mucilaginous plants we can just chew up and spit in our hand and see and feel the mucilage. Okay. It is part of the interstitial fluids. Oh. It has a direct contact action, right? So that when you yeah. put that mucilage on your skin, it soothes it by direct contact. You don't have to digest it. And when you put it in your mouth, it soothes your mouth. You don't have to digest anything out of it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And when you swallow it, it soothes your digestive system. And when it goes into your blood, it soothes the cardiovascular system and then the respiratory system. And you don't have to digest the mucilage. Any vitamins, minerals, proteins, other things that are in the okra, you're not getting because they're protected by the cell wall. Right. Okay, that's super helpful. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So it, that's what it's I like. like nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's great. Um, so it's like something that, yeah, if you wanted that same action of like soothing, even of your gut or anything like that. I've heard of some women um, that I've talked to, they make just like a cold infusion and that makes sense that it, they cut up the okra, they put it in cold water and it should extract a lot of the mucilage and then they drink that. And that, you know, is like a, an old remedy or I've heard of it as a remedy that's used in Central America um, for, yeah, just the general like gastro issue issues so cool that's super interesting um have you ever like i know it's part of the 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 same family the the like same family as hibiscus and marshmallow and all of those um have you ever used any other i mean are, do you do you ever work with okra as like a a plant like do you ever eat the greens or um I've heard you say that as a kid growing up, you didn't like the texture, so you didn't actually, like, eat the... You know, I was I was forced to live in Dallas, Texas as a child. <laughs> so I grew up with an abiding dislike of okra, which I have <laughs> never seen fit to work on. I'm okay. sure there may be a time in my life when okra perhaps might be an important food to me or perhaps, you know, the only thing available, at which point I will work on it. But so far, my life has allowed me to pretty much avoid okra. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm really excited about it because it's one of those foods. I have a farm and it feels like one of those foods that could basically, it's got everything. It's got like the greens. I'm pretty sure they are edible and the pods. Everything in that family, the greens are edible. You're so right. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and the seeds, like I've heard that people use the seeds. They, They let the pods get really large and then take the seeds and grind them up as like a starch or yeah, I, I was going to say, I have an okra seed pod rattle. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Really nice. And it's rattle. very, yeah, it's a beautiful plant, and it's really, it's so special, and it's so abundant here in North Carolina, so it's like one of those plants that I I hope to get to know better and better every year. But um, thank you for that information. Um, Really quickly, my other, uh, I guess it's kind of like a, it's it's partly a question and also kind of like a story, I guess. Um, I have noticed that once after, during my monthly cycle, after I ovulate, um, my 
I just lose energy. I've got tons. I've got a lot of energy, even like towards the end of my bleed and then um, all the way up to ovulation. And then after I ovulate, I just feel a very stark difference in my energy and also my just like general irritability. And I was like, I should, I was, I was looking for something to kind of help with that. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try during that period of my, of my cycle to start to take some tinctures because I'm not, I've made tons of tinctures, but I, I wasn't like regularly using them if I didn't feel I needed them. So I made myself a blend just because I was like, I'm more likely to take it if I actually put these together. And I combined um, St. Jones wort tincture, milky oats tincture, and schizandra berry tincture that um, I all three of which I made, I bought the shizandra berries, but the other ones I actually harvested and made myself. And it's really helped. I was like, it, it was like almost like night and day after like three days it regularly. Um, I felt just way more energy and just more, less irritability. And I also was just trying to pay attention to it, but yeah, it was really awesome. So I was, I guess my question is, um, well, first of all, like what you think of, of that, of like the blend and also kind of does, does it make sense to you that, um, that, that, that I would have that like drop in energy after ovulation in that way? I've just been noticing it like in the last couple of years. Well, there's certainly a lot of tabs we can pull on what you're talking about. Um, one of the first things that comes up for me is who says we're supposed to be the same every day? <laughs> yeah. Especially as women. Who says we are supposed to have the same energy every day and have the same mood every day? Whose rule is that? Yes, this is true. And, and do I want to play by that rule? Is that a rule that I like? Does that rule help me? Or does it set me at odds with myself? My general tendency is rather than to decide that what's happening with me is wrong, is to ask myself, um, is there some way that I can appreciate um, how I am and what's happening to me? Is there some way that I can understand changes in my mood and my energy as um, helpful hints along the way of um, my exploration of um, who I can be? And, you know, I have certainly had a lot of peers and friends who have helped me in many ways with that. You know, Ryan Drum um, says outright that when the thyroid slows a woman down, it's because she's going too fast and she needs a full and complete rest. And that's just one mm -hmm. example of um, medicalizing and then trying to normalize something when what we're doing is actually turning off the wisdom of our body. So I'm not so sure that it's a real problem. 
what you're noticing. Um, yeah. But I hear that you perceive it as a problem. <laughs> the primary action of Hypericum perforatum is to calm people down, to relieve muscle pain, and in all respects to relax one. The primary activity of milky oats is to relax people, sometimes even used to sedate people. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that you're taking two sedative herbs and getting a lot of energy from them. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't well, have to I make guess. sense. It's yeah, important. Yeah. You want these herbs to give you energy, they're going to give you energy. Okay. <laughs> Chisandra is said to slowly build chi, ki, and jing, which are three different kinds of energy in your body. But that process is considered to be one that takes daily use of your Chisandra over several years in order to yield results. Oh, okay. In other words, none of these herbs are coffee or even black tea. Mm-hmm. And of course, I hate that you mix them together. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I hate ways and despise that you mix them together. <sighs> but I'm so glad that you now have a remedy that you must slavishly take in order to have energy. Instead of having figured out which one of those herbs might be the one that energizes you. Okay. I hear you. See what that I'm sounds... about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Them together? <sighs> yes. It's like well, it's interesting. T- like if you have a TV screen that divides into three and you watch uh, 101 Dalmatians and uh, Aladdin and Cinderella at the same time. <laughs> yes. That would be too much. It's not too much. It's that you can't really focus on any one of them. Right, right. No, I hear you. But you I don't mind, like, uh-huh. I should, yeah. Like, okay. like when, I, when I get up in the morning, I take a slew of stuff. I take mm-hmm. echinacea. I take a little poke. I take some dandelion. I take chisandra. I take some violet tincture that somebody made for me. I take some cannabis tincture. I have several mushroom tinctures that uh, people have made for me and sent to me. But I take them individually. Mm-hmm. And I don't slavishly take a certain amount of them. I ask that tincture that day, how much of you do I need today? So rather than just shoving them all together and taking a set amount, I am in contact, I hope, with the substance and spirit of the plant. Mm-hmm. Since I'm not the same every day, we've come back to where we started. What I take every day shouldn't be the same either. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and I I think I I was focusing on I guess I was focusing on it's interesting because I think I those those especially St. Jones Wort and Milky Oats called to me because 
in addition, like I, there's some con- sort of connection for me between like less, like I would just call it lessening energy and like irritability. And part of it is the need to actually slow down in my interactions um, in order to exact, like actually express my needs without like passive aggression or just, um, <laughs> uh, I, I guess mainly passive aggression um, towards my family and the people around me that I work with. Um, and so I, I guess those two um, sen- like sensations or, you know, experiences happen often around the same time of my cycle. And so maybe, yeah, I'm definitely interested in trying them on their own and seeing which one feels like it's having the, uh, like, desired effect. I guess there's almost also just like a desire to use plant tinctures to help me focus on my health and well-being at that time of the month where it seems like it gets out of my control or out of my awareness, I guess, like how to take care of myself. And so in some ways that might be just what is giving me energy is just that I'm like, oh, I'm going to notice this thing and (laughs) take care of myself in this way, even though it may not be actually energizing, like the herbs themselves are not energizing, but maybe it's like something around the attention. Exactly what I'm saying, yes. That what's important is that you're giving yourself attention, and it may be, I don't know, that what you're characterizing as lack of energy is a need for reflection, a need to be alone. Yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> because I live in like a... Sometimes when people say yeah. to me, I don't have energy, I say, oh, so if suddenly everybody in your life were to disappear, you would just like lay down and take a nap and they'd say, oh, no, I would do this and this and this. I say, we have plenty of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's so true. Yes, I live in a tiny home with three other people and work with my partner every day and with my children. So, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I was, I've always loved the story of the woman who had two small children when she went into menopause. And the kids, I think they were like three and five came to the door of her studio. She had her back to them, but she could hear them talking. And the three-year-old said, let's play with Mommy. And the five-year-old said, Mommy is wearing her mad hat. <laughs> and she had a hat that she would put on in the morning when she didn't want people to have anything to do with her. And everybody in her family knew when Mommy was wearing the mad hat, you don't talk to her. Oh, I love that. That's so brilliant. Give everybody <laughs> a signal that's, yeah, that's not like being angry at other people just like some other sim- signal and symbol to be like, just don't mess with me today, please. <laughs> no, just, just don't do it. Just don't even say good morning. Go, I'm going to bite your head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. Spraying mantis, you. <laughs> it turns out that the female praying mantis will only bite the head of her, her, her consort off if they are in a cage out in the wild. She doesn't do that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've always heard that. That's so interesting. Oh, well, thank you so much, Susan. That gives me lots of food for thought. So thank you. You are welcome. Thanks so much for sharing. 
Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi. Hi. Good evening. Um, I saw my doctor, my heart doctor today. And uh, she told me that my heart is beating too fast and is weak. And uh, she asked me if I take the things she asked me to take, and I told her that I take only for high blood pressure one pill a day that I cut into two so I don't get dizzy after I take it. take half of it in the morning, half in the evening. And um, she said, you really don't need me. Why did you come? I said... I'm afraid of getting a stroke. Uh, I got that terrible pain in my left arm, and you told me the left side of my heart is uh, not working properly. And uh, as I told you last time, I went to an osteopath to, with my shoulder to make sure that it's not about the heart, and uh, he sent me to an orthopedist uh, to whom I didn't go. I did my Feldenkrais gentle exercises with my fingers, and it took care of something that would need uh, either an injection for pain or surgery, and I don't want both. My question to you is, however, and I did buy the the Hypericum Perforatum, and I took it before and after exercise, if I exercise very little, which I do every day, and I'm lying on my back, so there is really not much pressure on my joints, I'm okay. But I can't stand more than five minutes. I need to lean, and I don't have any energy. When I heard you just five minutes ago of how much energy some people get, I wish uh, I, I, I could have some energy and yes my 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 heart is overworking and maybe that's why I'm exhausted so after all the things that I'm taking and and yeah and you told me to take twice a week the uh, um, nettles uh, um, infusion which I do and um, Nothing really changed except I was going to the post office to do my 120 steps, and because it was so hot the last month, I did not go anymore. I have a lot of overweight to let go of. I'm 200 pounds, and my normal weight in my lifetime was 130, 130 pounds. Is it something I can do naturally about this? I'm not going to take medication. My way of losing weight, the one time in my life when I wanted to lose weight and I lost 40 pounds in a year, was to not take the last bite. Yeah, you told me that. I got very... You said that it worked for you at first. Uh, Yes. In the beginning, and then uh, it's kind of, I forgot 
or I didn't, obviously, didn't want to not eat the last bite, what shall I say? I also, um, to kind of initially, you know, get started and get some good results, um, chose each week one particular um, high-calorie food that I didn't have that week. So for one week, I didn't have butter. Mm. I don't eat a lot of butter, but... Um, oh, so, and it doesn't have to be that particular food. I'm just saying that yeah, that was yeah. something that I found. I like I could, that. That I for a week I could give up any food because I knew it was just for a week. And that sometimes when I would come back to it, I want, what, would want less of that food. Mm-hmm. So it kind of helped to give me just a little survey of things without a panic of, oh, my gosh, I'll never get to have this again. No. No, I'm not a dieter, so I, I, I don't have yeah. thoughts like that in my head. My only thought is I can really enjoy my food. I am a gourmet. I just need to eat half of what I'm eating, and I need to move. And when I move, I hurt. So it's like uh, it's hard, you know. I have that posture. Absolutely. hear you. It is difficult. Yeah. There's a book by Bob Masters, which he wrote after working with people who had had strokes. Mm -hmm. And he was very interested in helping rehabilitate people after strokes. And he didn't want to wait until they could do physical therapy. And some of them found it very difficult to do physical therapy because they were extremely tired and because it hurt. And he found that by reading to them a series of exercises that their brains actually fired as though they were moving those muscles. Yeah, that's Feldenkrais. Yeah. Mm, That's not Feldenkrais. Well, I'm not reading, but I give a lecture. That is, the word is transmitted to the brain and they have to interpret it into movement or visualize it and not do it. That's good. I had no idea that Feldenkrais worked with visualization. I've oh, only yes. been yes. exposed to the Feldenkrais floor exercises and a variety of other actual physical movements from Feldenkrais. And um, in that work, certainly ask to pay attention to what's going on in my body. Yes. Uh, but this is. But it was always predicated on my being able to do it. No. No, on the actually being able to do it. And what Bob Masters is doing is working with people who can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it still sends impulses. That's yes, what it still sends yeah. impulses. So, it works. Yeah, it works. I know. So perhaps, you know, I hear that you are doing some of that. Perhaps yeah. doing more of that would be beneficial to you. Uh, perhaps you could make up a Feldenkrais exercise for your heart to give your heart more strength. I know that the herb that is said to make the heart work better is hawthorn. 
I'm and hawthorn can be taken in virtually any dose and in just about any way. Hawthorn berry is a infusion. Hawthorn berry is a tincture. Hawthorn leaves and flowers as a tea. You told me to take it twice a day, and I take it ever since you told me first time. And also the mother wart, of course. Good. Yeah, Good. I do. I'd I ask the hawthorn if more would be better for you. Really? Like three times a day, you say? Three times a day or more each time. Uh, both of them or just the hawthorn? Ask the herbs themselves. Be with them. As, be you, take, as you take them, say, should I take more? Would it benefit me to have more of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, my tendency is yes, but my other part of And I my... hurt yourself with, with hawthorn. It's like applesauce. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, however, uh, the question is, unfortunately, you know, uh, I do believe that the nettle is good for me because I also have internal inflama- inflammation, and uh, uh, the hay fever is coming, and I start sneezing. But it did not give me energy. Uh, I wonder... Shall I drink more of that infusion, or... You could. Again, you can't hurt yourself. Like, because I take a a tea, a different tea uh, infusion every day, so instead of twice a week, I'll take it like three times a week or every day? That sounds sounds wonderful, yes. Uh Sounds like a good idea. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Thank you for staying in touch. Green blessings. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Good night. We have just one more person with their hands raised. Make sure to press 1 to put your call into the queue and ask a question. The next caller is coming from the 631 area code. Hello? Hello. Yeah, this is Moretta. Hey, Moretta. Hi. Hi, sweetheart. You know, I had some terrible news today because I had a MRI yesterday, and uh, this uh, on the scan, this uh, doctor who is sort of the, the supposedly the best back doctor that my daughter got in New York City, um, he had a Zoom meeting with him, and he said, you have four recently fractured vertebrae, and you have three older vertebrae that is also fractured. But he said, because you have four recently um uh, fractured vertebrae. You, we have to do a lot of research to see why that's even happening. Hello, I'm right here. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious too as to why that should be happening. Yeah, and so it doesn't mean that it can't heal. Uh, you know, I heard from my granddaughter, who's a doctor. 32, she said it can heal, and it can sometimes take six weeks to heal, but it can heal. In the meanwhile, I'm in tremendous amount of pain. 
as you and I had to be very, very careful just the way I move and everything, you know. So I was just wondering if you it you know, it's uh you know, intense osteoporosis, you know. Osteoporosis, what they call osteoporosis. And so they are saying that there is some osteoporosis. Yeah. Severe. Because that, of course, would would explain why those vertebrae have broken. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So yeah. then, you know, uh, this so, doctor, so this doctor when wants- I need to heal a bone, um, I look to comfrey. Comfrey is, of course, the herb knit bone that I think of when I want to heal bones. Yeah. And I. And I do my best to um, drink at least a little comfrey on a daily basis when I'm healing a bone. That might be even as little as half a cup a day, but I do try to keep at it. And then this plant material I would use as a poultice. And, of course, um, good quality dairy products are so important in healing bones. Yogurt, good quality raw milk cheeses. Um, you know, increasing the amount of those in the diet. Increases. Uh, I have increased uh, yogurt quite a bit in my diet. Yes, I thought that you had. Yeah, quite a bit. And you know, like how much yogurt can you actually can you eat a quarter yogurt in a day, or isn't that's, that? That's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I think too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'll say that maybe it's hard to even get close to half a quart, you know. But I think a cup, I think a cup a day is a doable amount. You think a cup a day is a doable amount, yeah. Well, I do have more than a cup a day, so a cup of... So I think you're that, doing great. I'm doing great with that, yeah. And... Um, um, you know, then because I have this dry mouth and all this, you know, then I also have this back, uh, no, it's post-nasal drip. And it's irritating my throat tremendously. And I think it's just because, uh, you know, I went all the way to, you know, uh, I went, you know, it's been a frightening situation, to say the least, Right. So I think that has irritated it more. And uh, I tried, you know, I looked in your book abundantly well, and uh, obviously Rishi mushrooms is, uh, stops histamine release. Hello? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, I I had one dropper full, and... uh, and that's that really uh, helps, and uh, I probably have to take another drop of full now that I go to sleep. And uh, then I, you know, it's obviously an alcohol, and it's drying to my throat, but then after I drink it down, then I have some marshmallow tea that I put down right afterwards to help uh, soothe my throat. Nice, very nice. Yeah, and I need a lot of soothing to my throat right now for whatever reason. And uh, so I've 
I use what you recommended, just uh, normal honey, not manuka, but just regular honey. And I put a little bit of that in the jar. And so I have that handy, so if I start really coughing, you know, I drink that, and that is helpful, you know. And I'm uh, so glad that that's of use to you. Yeah, and you, I mean, that's uh, that's been my lifesaver all along since I took that uh, horrible muscle relaxer, you know. I think that muscle relaxer, I took it in March uh, 20th, and I have never been the same since. Wow. Yeah, never been the same since. It completely destroyed my whole throat. I couldn't eat for months without burning. Any anything I put in my mouth, even avocado was burning. Oh, so I, I think a lot of these fractures has happened because of that. You know, the inability to really take in nutrients and also with my stomach being blown up, you know, uh painful and blown up and I had somebody here um you know, doing, uh, what do you call it when you do that? Pull uh, up on the table, loads of water into your colon, you know. And, well, I had somebody here, and she gave me an enema, and uh, she said, you have lots of gas in your uh, in your uh, colon. And so, uh, you know, trying to get rid of the gas is, is, um, you know, I do slippery elm every day. You know, every night I do slippery elm. And uh, it helps me, it helps move some things out, but I think the pain has made things more stuck, you know what I mean? Hello? Hi. Yes, I hear you. Yeah. Has made things more difficult, so... Uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I'm going to proceed with your advice. And thank you for your advice, soon. I love you, Maretta. Yeah, I love you, too. And God bless you, soon. May you live forever. <laughs> is, that a blessing or, is that a blessing or a curse? <laughs> we need our, we need you desperately. <laughs> uh, uh, whether yeah. or not, whether or not I'm in this body, the work of the wise woman tradition and the work that I have started by restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine will go on, and it will go on in the hearts and minds and actions of hundreds of thousands of people, and that is. As an Aquarius, um, something that I so am thrilled about and ardently desire. Wow. Are you an Aquarius? I'm an Aquarius, too. Mm-hmm. February mm-hmm. 6th. We are fixed. Well. As I always say, look, I'm the Aquarius here. Just do what I say and everyone will be happy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love you. I love you, Yeah. We Love def- you too, honey. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely 
Aquarius is always a people person, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, people person, yeah, the for no no kidding. Love you, Susu, and I love you so much. Oh my god, you're so deep in my heart and soul. I feel like I'm almost like part of you, you know. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. I, I I hear you. Thank you so much. So for me God that. bless you. Good night, sweetheart. Good night, green blessings. Yeah. The next caller is coming from the 951 area code. Hello? Hello. Hi. My name is Cynthia, and I have a son who recently had an episode for the first time in his life, has never had any depression problems, any therapy, but he was diagnosed with psychosis. And so what I did because I've been following you for years and you've helped me tremendously with my issues by um, me taking shepherd's purse, which has saved my life and saved my organs that the doctors wanted to take out. And because of you, I am blessed to this day. And because of that, I went ahead and started giving my son red clover. And within days, I've seen an amazing change and transformation to his psychosis episode that he's had for the first time in his life. He's 21, and he's male, and he's um, just a beautiful kid. And so now um, the whole episode is brought on because he had the coronavirus and he was isolated at the same time that his father was hospitalized for the same thing. So because of that, it took him into a very uh, deep, place, you know, where he was really scared. And so um, the results of that was him going into psychosis. Um, I had to hospitalize him, which is for him the first time he was ever hospitalized in his whole life. And um, he came out of the hospital, doctor put him on some uh, psychoactive medication. And I gave it to him. But at the same time, I also um, researched some of your work, and I said, okay, um, I know red or skull, skull cap would be something she'd probably recommend, but I don't have that. But I sure in the heck have some red clover, so let me try that. And within days, I can tell you, he's done a 360. So, I am so happy to hear that. Yeah. And so I was listening to TED Talks, uh, of a scientist who had a brother who had a psychosis, and she was talking about the chemical uh, imbalance in the brain that has to do with estrogen receptors and not enough estrogen in the brain and blah, 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 blah. So I said, wait a minute, that sounds like something Susan would talk about with her red clover uh, infusion. So let me try that. I have nothing to lose at this point. And um, sure enough, I'm telling you, that stuff is miraculous. He's asking about what the heck happened to me? Where was I at? Why did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. So it's like he's literally done a 360, and he's coming back, and it's like I have my son all over again, thanks to you. I am so, so happy to hear that. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So and hooray so, for red clover. Yeah. And, and I, I was listening to your other caller talking about red clover and how so many people hate it. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, wait till that caller listens to my story. Because <laughs> within, within, Susan, within hours of me giving him the first infusion of red clover, he started to complain. And this is why he was in his delusional state, okay? This is a kid who forgot who his mother and father were who have been his mother and father. He's only 21, but we've been the same mom and dad for 34 years. And um, he started to, to say, I have this really weird feeling in my head, mom. It's weird. I have like a headache. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, that's the red clover working. Because I remember reading an article on your website about the Japanese men who had dementia and who had that turned around with red clover. That's what I went based on. Wow, what a beautiful yeah. story. Yep. You're all so <laughs> uplifted. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for everything you do. I mean, and and this is like I told, um, I told my husband, you know what? I've got to listen to her radio. I got to call in to her radio station, and I need to let other listeners hear my story because – Truly, I'm sure there's people out there who have children who have problems that are similar, and they don't realize that it's an estrogen imbalance in the brain. Because this is a kid who's played water polo for five years of his life, always been into sports, has always had to maintain a certain, you know, uh, grade point average in school, and then all of a sudden he turns 21 and there's an imbalance. And this is... You know, and, and so I was like, okay, imbalance, let's, let's read about this. Let's look further into this. And then I found this professor at Columbia University talking about this estrogen imbalance that it took her 10 years to find out about. And I thought, okay, estrogen imbalance. I know Susan talks about estrogen, and it's part of red clover, so let me research some more. Turns out that based on what I could compare notes with, it was the same estrogen imbalance that this professor was talking about that is found in red clover. Amazing. Well, thank you again for calling in and sharing (laughs) your story with us. We are all enlightened and thrilled. Yep. Is there anything else that you would recommend that I give my son at this point? I mean, honestly, I... Are you all drinking me. nourishing herbal infusions? That would be the one thing that I would recommend. Um, you know, let me, tell you, let me tell you even a better story. Right now, because of the coronavirus, my son was in isolation, and that's what triggered whatever chemical imbalance he had to even be stronger and go into psychosis. And my husband was a coronavirus as well, and he ended up in the hospital. And so both of them ended up at the hospital and guess what I'm the only one that drinks those herbal infusions like it's my religion and I was the only one that was not affected by the coronavirus hello listeners listen loud and clear I was the only one that did not have the coronavirus and I slept and took care of them and slept in the same room with them but I had the immunity to not allow that to affect me at all You're amazing. Yep. 
No, you're and, amazing. Or with a nourishing yeah. herbal infusion. So perhaps now your son will be willing to share a glass take of infusion. <laughs> yes, we take the nettle. We take uh, we have nettle, oat straw, um, comfrey I ran out of, but we do take the comfrey even though you will Google lots of websites that talk against it, but I, I'm not – I don't listen to that. I, I listen to what I have learned from my own experience. So uh, it's nettle, oat straw, and comfrey, and linden flower. Oh, my gosh. Linden flower. Oh, my gosh. Listeners, if you guys have asthma problems it's, or lung issues, the linden flower is amazing, especially if you let it get cold and then you warm it up again. It has a different benefit to your lungs. And that's where we're at. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Yeah. So I, I was reading something about skull caps uh, for any type of mental illnesses. Is that something that you can talk more about, skull cap? Skull cap is a wonderful member of the mint family. Mm-hmm. It grows where I live, and I have a long relationship with Skullcap, it's been a, a wonderful ally for me, especially for pain relief. Um, oh. Early on, I had an MD in one of my classes who was treating a young man who had tried to kill himself by leaping off a bridge. Well, he not only didn't kill himself, he didn't even land in the water. He landed on his head on the land. And he <laughs> suffered some pretty severe brain injuries, which gave wow. him some... Um, Psychiatric disorders, and the um, MD uh, said that he was getting really good results using skullcap tea. Wow. Okay. Okay. Great. Because you know what? The doctors had diagnosed my son with severe depression, which I never noticed anything about depression because this whole time that he's had his psychosis, as as uh, restless as he's been, I'll tell you, he's been very positive. So I don't agree with the severe depression, but I do agree with the psychosis because he was having hallucinations and he was having um, delusions. But um, as soon as I started with the red clover, and I'll tell you, listeners, he this is within like, uh, uh, you know, you're only supposed to infuse the, the liter uh, glass container three times as Susan recommends, and um, I've probably given him five five uh, liters of this, this red clover and, like, night and day with my son. Night and day. I don't think any pill could give him that type of result. None. Someone once asked my mentor, Jean Houston, what's the difference between the shaman and someone who's psychotic? Uh-huh. And she- she said, well, both the shaman and the person uh, who's psychotic see visions, um, yeah. and they may hallucinate, and they hear voices. Uh, but the shaman's visions and hallucinations and voices lead the shaman to do good for self and others. And uh, the person who has psychosis, their visions and voices lead them to do bad to themselves and others. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so one yeah. possible way to work with this is to encourage your son to go for some kind of shamanic training. Yeah, 
Oh, my gosh. And this is a kid who, let me tell you, his whole life, people fall in love with him. He's such an amazing kid. And because he, he's so positive, you know, he's, he's deaf. He's hard of hearing. And it's like when you meet him, you just fall in love with him. The nurses where he was at, where he was hospitalized, just cried when he left the hospital because they fell so in love with him because he's the most positive kid that you will ever meet in your life. And for something like this to happen to him was just, just, it was just, it didn't make sense. It just did not make sense. So when I got him, I said, okay, that's it. We've tried medicine. We've tried Western medicine and we will continue to use that medicine to help him. However, these herbal infusions are just a plus, and it's not going to do any harm, so let's go ahead and try it. I mean, I had to go to four emergency rooms and have four doctors tell me they needed to take my uterus out, and as soon as I did shepherd's purse, I can tell you I never had to have surgery, and my periods became the most normal thing ever. Um, I didn't experience I, I did maybe I didn't experience any bad side effects from it. Only good things. Only good things. My my life became better because of Shepherd's Purse. <laughs> what inspiring stories! I so appreciate your calling. It's time yes. for our guest, Reverend Maggie Whitehouse, to show up. Mm-hmm. And what a, a wonderful segue from your yes. um, awe-inspiring Thank stories. Thank you, Ray Clover. Thank you so much for sharing green blessings. And welcome. Bless you. Welcome to Maggie Whitehouse. Maggie Whitehouse is an independent sacramental minister uh, or hedge priest, a professional stand-up comedian. I guess that means she gets paid. And <laughs> an expert on Bible history and metaphysics, and she's a prolific author as well. She began her stand-up comedy at the age of 56. We don't know how old she is now, whether that was last year or a few years ago. Maggie has more than 30 years' experience as a radio and television journalist and documentaries presenter and producer. She was the host moderator for BBC's Religion and Ethics message boards during the Second Iraq War. Ellen Bookbinder, head of BBC Religion and Ethics, described her as terrifying. Ooh, what a wonderful thing to be described as. Maggie Whitehouse is the author of 17 published books, including six on Judeo-Christian mysticism, China by Rail, and The Miracle Man, and the story of what would happen if the Messiah returned today as a judge on America's God Talent. Maggie made it to Wikipedia after writing a sensible book about Opus Di at the time of all the palaver over the Da Vinci Code. Maggie Whitehouse has been widowed, divorced, and happily remarried now to an astrologer, which worries the parish council considerably. Maggie has worked as a hospice chaplain, ridden on a Bengal tiger, uh, I'm wondering if it had a saddle or not, and survived a barracuda attack off the barrier reef. Both Maggie's mother and her bishop think she should get a proper job. Maggie, thank you for staying up so late to talk to us. We really appreciate it. 
It's lovely to be here, Susan. You are a heroine of mine. It was through you on Facebook that I started foraging. So thank you. It's thrilling to be here. And with any luck, I should be able to watch Venus rise over the horizon while we talk. There you go. You know, Louisa Tish, when she was here, said heroin is what you shoot into your veins. The female of, of hero is Hera. Yes, absolutely. And actually, in my next Let me be your Hera. Is called Hero, and she's a girl. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, b- before you came on, um, Rebecca and I uh, were trying to figure out what a vicar is. And <laughs> because you call yourself a vicar, and it's not a term that's very familiar to us, so could you enlighten us a little bit about what a vicar is? Yes, a vicar is a priest, an ordained person, and when I did finally go for ordination after years and years of fighting the horribleness of Christianity, I had to go through a real wake-up call because I realized I was so angry with it because it had condemned my dying husband to hell. But I actually had to get down and dirty and get into it and start working out what was what was my projection and what was real and that kind of thing. And eventually I was ordained into an independent sacramental church. So a vicar is a priest. And we in the United Kingdom say that we wear a dog collar rather than a clerical collar. And the dog collar, the legend that we're taught, and it's only a legend, but I love it, is that the dog collar was originally the collar of Anubis, the Egyptian god who judged the souls of the dead by weighing their heart against a feather and if your heart was light, you went to the right part of the underworld. And if your heart was not light, you had a few problems. So my bishop taught me that the only job of a vicar is to lift hearts. And that was the final reason why I thought, I think I'll go for this. To lift hearts. That's wonderful. Because, of course, I often say I don't believe in God because God is bloody and vengeful and basically has all of the character traits that I want to avoid. So I choose not to believe in such a bloodthirsty uh, being, but to uh, throw my allegiance to the goddess who asks of me uh, acts of pleasure and beauty. Absolutely. And you know, the thing is, the shame is the corruption of all our religions because they all started with this clarity of love and respect for all, for the planet, for ourselves, for each other. And actually, you know, one of the most delightful things I discovered when I was researching one of the books I wrote about the divine feminine in the Bible was that the universe, according to the Bible, was created by the goddess, the Elohim. It's actually a feminine noun, and there are ten names for God in the Old Testament, and five of them are masculine and five of them are feminine. And we're just not taught this, but it's all there hidden in plain sight. And actually the first temple, this is not the one that we know about from the Gospels, the first temple was destroyed 500 years before Jesus was born. And that was the time the divine feminine was thrown out. And they started focusing on the law rather than love. And once they got the law, we started getting that concept of the vengeful God because it was all about you break the law, you go to hell. And that was never the intention. And that was the huge healing for me and how I was able to rekindle a love because I know the goddess is there. And I know that it's part of the planet and the whole universe. And the thing about Christianity is it's really never probably been tried. It's been 
uh, referred to the law, and it's been made this small tribal excuse for hating others instead of looking at this vast universe and saying, we are one tiny speck, one tiny speck. And unless we have a bigger God, an all-embracing, extraordinary God, it's really not worth addressing it at all. Oh, I love to hear you say that. Wow, what a great thing a vicar is. I'm going to look for a vicar somewhere. <laughs> so I, I, one of the things that Rebecca and I were asking is, is a vicar like of a certain religion, like, like is it Episcopalian? But I think that that question is like so non-germane to you because it, I see that you simply stride across those denominational borders as though they didn't exist. I, I try to. I'm actually working for the Methodists in the United Kingdom at the moment. Well, I'm not at the moment because of all the social distancing, but for the last four years I've been relatively respectable working for the Methodists. But a vicar uh, is could be um, Catholic or um, Episcopalian. We would call it Church of England or Scottish Episcopalian or uh, Methodist. It could be any of the Christian denominations. But of course, I'm actually ordained into the Catholic Church, which means I was automatically excommunicated by Pope Benedict at the moment of my ordination, because women aren't allowed to be ordained into the Catholic Church. So I'm an independent. I'm a heretic. Heretic from the Greek actually just means strong thinker. I'm an alchemist. I'm a Kabbalist. I'm what's known as a hedge priest, which means I go wherever somebody needs me. And I'm also a kind of unofficial chaplain on the British comedy circuit because comedy is it's an extraordinary place of a lot of people who are very much on the spectrum somewhere on the autistic spectrum I slightly Asperger's myself and nearly oh, I'd say 98% of comedians are atheists but that doesn't mean to say that they don't want to sit down with somebody sometimes and talk through their troubles and that's what I'm there for and if I can help lift hearts at the same time that's great and I don't I don't give a rap whether anybody believes in God or not, and I don't believe any God that I could ever believe in would give a rap either. As far as I'm concerned, it's the universal force of creation. And the word um, Christ in, it literally means the creative force. It's part of a trinity. It is not tied down into one man who was born in allegedly Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We've limited this huge love and glory and giving so much and, and I find it shows up so much in our relationship to the planet. Um, I'm currently uh, rereading and totally absorbed in um, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, that beautiful book, do you know it? Oh, I do. It's, I just picked it up again too. Yes, and the idea of the honorable harvest, and it just hits me right in the heart every single time about how we have forgotten this honorable harvest. And I, I don't carry tobacco with me as Robin does. I carry um, organic oats. And any time I forage or um, just tonight walking one of our dogs in the dusk, uh, there were still some wild strawberries in the hedge. And the rule is don't take the first one and wait and see if it w is willing to be picked. Wait and see if it is for you. And since I've learned that from Robin and from one of the shamanic practitioners on Dartmoor in England where I live, with whom I do a podcast called Wise Women, the Vicar and the Witch, which is great fun. Uh, now I've, I've learned this stuff, it just makes it so much more 
beautiful to be in relationship with this planet and to know that all is one and all is sacred. The rocks are sacred, the grass is sacred, and everything is sacred. And the moment we start judging what's sacred and what isn't, we've lost our connection. Yes, as soon as we started dividing things into spirit and matter. Yes. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of the the divided mind, the dual mind, which is what one of my great spiritual teachers, Father Richard Raw, who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, talks about is this idea of the kindergarten religion, which is part of what we call the false self or the ego, which is the dual uh, tribal mind, which is that if I am right, that means that others are wrong. And therefore, I need to fight to prove that I am right. And the second we get to that, we've got divisive religion and we're going to cut ourselves off from all aspects of of grace. I mean, you've kindly invited me on because I've got a book out at the moment called Kabbalah and Healing. We don't need to mention it again. But the whole point of the book is saying if you clear your relationship with what you conceive the all-embracing love to be, and if you're going to have all the insight and intuition and grace, radical, redemptive transformational grace that you can ask for to assist your healing whatever way your healing is going to go but if you're locked into the divided mind of the ego your opinions and your beliefs will actually call form a kind of a a blanket a pall between you and this incredible universe that just gives and gives and gives you know the sun does not come up in the morning and say you owe me it just doesn't I often say that if you'll simply go and sit in nature, within an hour, nature will show you, obviously, that you're her favorite child. Yes. Yes, that's exactly the same as lying under the stars at night, which is one of the things I did when I had cancer a few years ago. Part of the healing journey was so much letting go, so much surrender. And when I couldn't sleep, I would go out and lie as naked as I could on the ground, I'd cover myself with a duvet, but I'd have my naked body against the ground and just lie there with the stars turning above me on a good night. And the, the free radicals in my body were absorbed by my mother, the earth, and the sky just told me simultaneously that I was nothing and the center of the universe. And that's the non-dual mind, which is where you could hold these paradoxes and just go... I don't know anything, and that's okay. And that is bliss. Yes. It's not just okay, it's bliss. Yes, it is. You're right. (laughs) It's It's one of the great gifts of being autistic is that every day is a brand new day to us. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. It's one of the special ways that our minds work. So, you know, one of the things that they often say about autistic people is that we don't have a sense of humor. So tell us about being a stand-up comedian. Oh, that was so funny in itself, Susan, because I do, oh, I did before lockdown and I will do again. I did a lot of workshops on healing our relationships with the divine and the planet and ourselves and others. And people used to say to me, oh, you're really funny. You should do stand-up. And I thought that sounds like hell to me. And anyway, it's a completely different thing from just being quite funny in a one-day workshop. But then 
three people said it to me at three successive workshops. And I know, and I'm sure you know, that if you get three strong hints, you'd better start thinking about acting on it because the fourth one's going to come with a brick attached. So I went online just to look up, is there any courses on comedy? Just so I could say to people, um, I tried it and I, it, I wasn't funny, so you're wrong. And it turned out there was a course starting half a mile from my home for about $65, which I could afford. So I was out of options. I went on the course expecting to fail dramatically. And I was 56 then, I'm 64 now. And I was by I was a grandmother to everybody else on the course. They were 22, 23, and one of them just said to me, what are you doing here? I don't like old people. And I said to her, oh, well, you'll grow out of that one. And everybody chuckled. And I thought, oh, well, anyway. And I graduated top of the class and six weeks later was supporting some professional comedians who were previewing their um, Edinburgh shows. So it was kind of not intended, but it was just, extraordinary a new discipline a new thing to learn the idea of working on this lifting of hearts and I'm always um, don't do very well closing a gig because everybody's usually drunk by then I'm very good at opening a gig or in the middle of a great gig because I always talk about the bible I always talk about the masculine and feminine and I try and make it funny And I talk about all the mistakes in the Bible. I talk about the unicorns that are in the Bible and how fundamentalists say you've got to believe every word in the Bible. But what about the unicorns? Because there's eight of them. And the talking donkey. But hey, that's okay because we've all seen Shrek, so we can all live with that one. And people quite often come up to me afterwards and say, I didn't know that, which is even lovelier than having them laugh. And even nicer, people will say, would you pray for my grandma? And I'll just say, of course I will, but let me teach you how to pray. To pray is to be in contemplation, to ask a question and to listen. To listen. To listen to what the world is telling you and how you can help your grandma. And it's just a privilege, Susan. It really is an absolute privilege. And the night's they utterly die on stage, which has happened. I have to admit I have fallen flat on my face, at least with a Christian faith. I've got the hope of a resurrection. Oh, my goodness. Your new book, Kabbalah and Healing, is just out. Um, The second time I was in Israel, I chose to live in Sfat, because of my interest in Kabbalah, uh, but did not quite connect because they decided to have a little war. And Mm -hmm. so it was bombs and knivings that I experienced and not the Kabbalah, although some people have said, well, that was a teaching from the Kabbalah. No, it Um, really really is. I know. What got you interested in Kabbalah? Well, it was this problem I had with Christianity. A hostage chaplain told me that my dying husband was going to hell because he wasn't a Christian. He was an atheist. And I just sort of threw the Jesus guy out of the window at that point. But the concept of a higher love, something bigger would go. And I went into the New Age and as a healer. And then I just realized that there was something figuratively in the corner covered in a nice pink silk throw covered in tea lights and crystals, which was actually a separating hatred. And if I didn't start dealing with that, I would be in trouble. And 
fate, God, destiny, grace, whatever you want to call it, um, got me into a relationship with a Jewish man who was at the furthest end of his tether from Judaism, just like I was from Christianity. And my teacher of healing couldn't deal with him, and I can quite understand that now in retrospect. And she sent him off to a teacher in London, which was a three-hour drive from our home, who taught Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah. And he teaches and I, I completely follow this tradition. It's called the Toledano tradition after the time in Spain when mystics of the three children of the book, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, worked together to study the patterns of the universe. So basically, Kabbalah is based on two diagrams, which are the DNA diagrams of how the patterns of the universe work. And my husband and I we just fell in love with these patterns and how they showed us our psyche and our spirit and our relationship with the earth. And our teacher was a very profoundly wise man because he said the whole point of an oral tradition that's based on this skeleton is that the oral tradition will keep to the basic rules and regulations that are the patterns, but it will update for every generation. And that's the problem with religion. It doesn't update. It becomes set in stone, it becomes crystallized, and it becomes utterly irrelevant. But if you study Kabbalah and get yourself immersed into it like a language, which I have over the last 25 years, you update it and you, you understand why things are happening the way they are and you can reinterpret the ancient laws for a way that is absolutely valid for today and understand things such as uh, the big issue in one of the big issues in Christianity is the whole issue around homosexuality which is actually a word which wasn't invented till 1945 so the Bible cannot refer to it and you can understand that the law of the Old Testament appears to say no homosexuality, but actually it was a law against the rape of minors. Young boys were taken to the temples of Baal and some of the other temples and used as sacred prostitutes and were generally dead by the age of 12. And I have no problem with the idea of a law against that. It was never against loving one-on-one -on -one relationships. But as you update the tradition, you can see that the spell of the patriarchy and this is not just a male thing, it's because the feminine has supported the patriarchy, otherwise it couldn't have, you know, a corrupt feminine has supported a corrupt masculine, if you like. But the spell is now cracking, and you can see it in all the anger and dualism that's coming out. And one of the reasons we know the spell is cracking, because of the resurgence of the gender debate, that there don't have to be two genders. Native American wisdom has never ever thought of there being two genders there's a multiplicity we are masculine we are feminine we are exactly unique exactly as we're meant to be and the more we can adapt and accept that gender is fluid much more fluid than we've been trained in since uh, what was called the enlightenment which actually became the age of reason where we lost mysticism we lost so much of the oral tradition but now i can teach kabbalah to folk who are gay or transgender and say, of course you're perfect, of course you're loved, of course you're right. You know, and nobody ever in the heart of any true faith thought otherwise. And it seems so obvious to me, but it's so healing for them because they've been outcast and rejected and despised and told that they're wrong. I go on a bit, you may have noticed. 
I love that you go on a bit. This is Susan Weed talking with Maggie Whitehouse, a sacramental minister who was ordained in the Catholic Church and excommunicated in the very same breath. She has a lot of books out, and her most recent book is Kabbalah and Healing, Maggie Whitehouse, um, like where T. Rump uh, just built a fence. And you can, of course, also find her at Amazon Author Central. Uh, Her books are right there. Uh, You know, one of the things that really impressed me about the women in the United States who um, came out of Seneca Falls and Syracuse for women's rights and women's voting rights especially was that they were very Christian and that they were intent on restoring the divine feminine to the Bible. It's not something that we often hear about. No, it's not. It was pretty much banned about 500 years before Jesus. Uh, They discovered the book of Deuteronomy in the temple. It had never been heard of before then, and there's been a lot of editing of the Bible, editing stuff out. And some of the things that are so simple that we really don't realize is that There is no concept of original sin in Judaism. No concept at all. It was a theory that was come up with by St. Augustine in the 4th century, and it was turned into a worse theory, in my view, by St. Anselm in the 12th to 13th century. So most Christianity is working on a doctrine that Jesus of Nazareth would never have even heard of. And... Also, we don't realize that Judaism, in Judaism, the feminine was far more respected than in the Greek world or the Roman world. In those days, Greek or Roman women couldn't even go out of the house without a male accompaniment. They couldn't own property. They couldn't inherit. But Jewish women could. They owned property. They inherited. And they were the ones who called down the Shekinah, the divine feminine, the presence of the divine on the Sabbath Eve by lighting the candles. They still do this, but a lot of Jewish women don't realize how utterly, utterly important this is, that it is the feminine that is the bride of the Sabbath. It's the feminine, the receiving aspect of us that's willing to listen, that is the one that is open to grace. And of course, the feminine is in men as well. It's in men and women, but my work really, apart from lifting hearts, is to just say the divine feminine has always been there. It was only 500 years before Jesus, it was edited out. It came back at the time of Jesus. He, in the Gospel of Luke, there are so many stories about the feminine, and it's only the women who understood the crucifixion, the women who were with his body and just waited. They just waited. And they understood the concept of the principle of order, disorder, order. You have to fail. You have to be, have to have what goes through what's called necessary suffering in some way in order to come to your true self, to understand that once you're willing to die to the problem, resurrection is a done deal. The allegory there is really beautiful. But it was the women. It was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Salome who actually were the only ones who understood. They were the first disciples. And again, they got edited out when it became a written tradition. In the oral tradition, they were always there, but not in the written tradition. That got set in stone about 70 years after 
Jesus' death and even worse, a hundred years after, after the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple. And basically everybody panicked and wrote everything down and set it in stone and, and stopped it flowing and adapting. And the origin of Christianity was it was a faith of slaves and women and the poor and the dispossessed and the leprous and the sick. Uh, and it was a place of refuge and understanding of peace and communality. People lived together, they shared their worth. And then, of course, it got adopted by the Emperor Constantine in 303 and became the imperial religion of Rome. And that was when it became a religion of war because they basically turned Jesus into Jupiter, uh, the god of lightning and justice. And it all deteriorated from there, really. And the thing about Christianity is it's a great idea. It just hasn't been tried yet. Well, I like that, that it hasn't actually been tried 2,000 years into it, and we haven't actually tried it. <laughs> Not really. No, we're in kindergarten stage. Um, people like Father Richard Raw are really, really recommending to anyone. If you go to YouTube, he's got loads of videos, and he's written a wonderful book called um, The Universal Christ, Another Name for Everything, which pulls all of this together in this great cosmic teaching of love and inclusivity because there is no justification for having a religion that excludes because it is not a religion it is it is a corruption it is a tribal attitude and and we we're really really baking in the tribal attitudes at the moment and i watched michelle obama's speech on the internet this morning and i just thought yep Divine Feminine is speaking up now. She's speaking in women of color. She's speaking in women who are homosexual she are, and transgender. She's speaking in men who are in touch in the, with the feminine like Richard Raw. She's speaking on the comedy circuits. It could take 100 years. It could take another 500 years, Susan, but the change is coming. And we will get out of this kindergarten at some point. Well, I like hearing you say that. And you are fulfilling your mission of uplifting my heart. Well, thank you. And you have fulfilled your mission of uplifting my heart. I have a pot of self-heal and plantain oil in the kitchen, which I would never even have thought about without you. And it does wonders for my beautiful little beagle's itchy skin now she's got older. <laughs> oh, I am so glad to hear that. I, Maggie, I could keep talking to you. Um, until not only did Venus rise, but the sun rose. But as you know, it's a blog talk show, and they slam the iron gate on us at the exact time that they decide on. So we have come to the last couple of minutes of the show in which um, I ask you, do you want people to get in touch with you? And if so, where do you want them to get in touch with you? Just just Google me, Susan. Um, happy just Google Maggie. M-A-G-G-Y, Maggie Whitehouse, W-H-I-T-E-H-O-U-S-E. And what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds and the psyches of everyone who's listening to you? I would like them to understand that the legend says that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. The carpenter was second only in importance in a village to the rabbi because the carpenter was also essentially the surgeon. He was the one who had to chop an arm or a leg off if it was gangrenous. And the carpenter's wife, who would have been Mary, mother of Jesus, was always the herbalist. 
She was the one who administered the poppy seed syrup. She was the one who helped the women in childbirth. She was the one who quietly helped the women who needed not to have any more children. So the mother of Jesus, the founder of Christianity, or the original Christianity, would have been somebody really rather like you, Susan. So keep up the good work, and we're right behind you, honey. Thank you so much, Maggie Whitehouse, for all that you are doing to uplift everyone's heart, to include everyone in the loving embrace of all that is and all that is created, because I completely agree with you. When I am in nature, I am struck by how much joy and how much bliss everything in nature is putting out. Wow. Thank you, Maggie Whitehouse, for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. The threads that you are adding are vibrant, strong, and resilient threads, and we all benefit from them. Thanks, Rebecca, for being here once again, especially during this time in your life when things are changing so radically for you. I really appreciate it, and I hope that being here every week gives some stability to um, your life during a time when it's in flux. You are a big part of restoring herbal medicine as people's medicine, and I appreciate you. And thank you, Justine. I know you're probably not listening in, but you are so special to me. Thanks for coming over three times a day and changing my bandage. The doctor said twice a day, and it would take six to eight months to heal. We're doing it three times a day, and we are more than 60% done with the healing. We're looking for complete healing by Halloween. <laughs> my costume this year will be... Cancer free. What an green blessings, everybody. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. <laughs>